Okay, Heidi McDonald live at Baltimore Comic Con, and right now I am with Mark Morales. Mark Morales is the Inker Extraordinaire, award-winning, many awards uh, winning. What are you working on right now, Mark? I'm working on an Avengers original graphic novel that's coming out next year, right in time for the movie, hopefully. Um, at Rick Remender's writing and Jerome Pena's pencil. Nice, very nice. So, uh, Mark, we're asking people, what was the first comic you read that blew your mind, uh, and what was it for you? first comic that blew my mind was Marvel premiere number 15 with Iron Fist fighting the Warbird. Um, before, I was five years old. Before that, I had seen the comic strips in the paper, you know, the Sunday's comics and whatnot, and I learned, my parents told me to learn how to read by reading that stuff. So that one, everyone learned to read? Yeah. So one year, I went off to camp. My brother, my older brother's a camp counselor, and they put me in the corner to keep me quiet, and they gave me a stack of comic books, and that was the first one. And to my, I had never even known comic books existed at that point. So I was like, why didn't anyone tell me? This is great. They gave me that comic, and I was just... It was Gil Kane artwork, actually. And I was like, this is a lot different than Peanuts. <laughs> and so cool, because the guy was a metal fist-punching dude, so it was like, this is the best thing ever. And from that point on, the addiction began. Right. And, and did you read that one comic over and over again? I've read that comic book so much that <laughs> the first copy I had... The cover fell off and the pages fell off. I bought it again and I read it so much the next time I had to buy a third one. <laughs> and I also have it in the Marvel Essentials now, so. Right, wow. So do you, that's fascinating though. I mean, I love how people have this primal connection to these things and find them. Now, was there any comic books as a teenager that you read that were like, you know, eye opening or? Um, well, teenager, I mean, the 80s I thought had a really great variety of comics. I mean, anything from like the Howard Chicken, like American Flag, to Nexus, to Love and Rocket, all the Alan Moore DC stuff, so it yeah. was a great time to actually be really into the comic book. Wow, well, you put it that way, it really was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Mark, so, so you're just uh, kind of keeping your head down and uh, working on this graphic novel for the next uh, the next while, so... Uh, yeah, it's at least till the end of the year. So, Hopefully we'll get it done in time. Right, right. Have you worked on a long project like this uh, before? Yeah, I did a graphic novel last year for uh, Legendary Comics with Mark Wade and Max Brooks that took forever, Yeah. but this one has to go a lot quicker because there's a certain date it has to be out for the movie. Right, so. right. How do you like working on those those kind of deadlines? I mean, do you like having a long deadline? Do you like the monthly grind? Or? I like no deadline, <laughs> but uh, it's comics, so what can you do? Yeah, yeah. Now, you're still very successful as an inker, uh, and, you know, that some some say the inker is, uh, you know, maybe... Going away to dinosaur? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it seemed like 10 years ago they were really making a push to try and do everything digitally and, you know, ink it digitally. And I think they figured out that it doesn't really work quite as well because you're making the colorist work harder and you're the pencil work harder, so you're really not saving the time or the money. So I... Uh, I got to put another 25 years of this, and I'm good. <laughs> then they can do whatever they want. Yeah. Well, Mark, you are a very hard worker. Uh, an excellent, beautiful, beautiful work. So, thank you. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you very much. Hi, uh, Heidi McDonald here again with Amy Reader, the uh, artist of Rocket Girl and uh, creator of many fine comics. So, Amy, our question for today is: What was the first comic you read uh, that blew your mind? That really expanded your view of comics I would say um, I it's kind of hard to get but it's like um, Frank Whiteley did this Shimura thing you can sometimes get like a trade of it or something and he's in it um, it's like it was like a Judge Dredd related like Hondo City samurai type cop 
looking people, and there was a there was a gal in it, and she was getting her full judge status or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it was just really amazing art, and he had colored it himself. It, it was it's old school Frank Quietly, but. I feel like he hasn't changed a ton, you know. Propaganda from the comic book legal defense field. You already have. Okay. All right, Thank yes, you. yes. And um, and so I don't know. I just felt like the the fact, the way that he told it, and the way that he did colors to tell the story, um, and use sound effects that were physical, like breaking walls and stuff like that. I don't know. There was just something about it that was amazing to me. Right. So yeah. was it the art that affected you in that way? It was a visual thing. Or? Yeah, I think it was a visual thing. I mean. It, you know, it's hard for me to separate, like, art from story, um, but, uh, yeah, it was just sort of the way that he told it, and it might actually have been just the way that he colored it, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, hopefully that doesn't sound crazy, that colors are really important to comics. Right, right, right. But, yeah, um, yeah, it just, it kind of blew my mind as to what I could do, and, and people probably might even notice that my new Rocket Girl stuff, like, the character actually looks a lot like the Judge Inaba that he... Ah, so this is a secret so. origin story, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, I've been asking this question, and a lot, there's a lot of people who have stories, or some people, you know, have art, it's, it's really fascinating, I've, I've become really, really interested. Um, was there, like, so, but you, this is something you read when you were older, or did you read it as a kid? I read it when I was older. You know, I didn't even start reading comics until, uh, the end of college. Oh, wow, I didn't so, know that. So, yeah, yeah, and the thing that really got me into it then, that really blew my mind was, well, I was reading manga, so, um, it was Paradise Kiss by Ayazawa, and, um, that really amazed me just because... I felt like the characters were really complex. There was no good or bad. It was people just struggling with their own demons. And it was also a lot of love story-ish things and fashion things and all these things that really interested me and made me realize that comics could be for someone like me as well. Right. So. Now, do you want to... Were you in school for art? Were you already on the no, art path? No, I was going to be a social science teacher. That's what I have a degree in. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to be, quote unquote, a famous singer. That's how I always worded it. But um, yeah, it, I, uh, it wasn't until I started getting into manga after college and then I saw that Tokyo Pop was doing that Rising Stars of Manga contest for Americans that made me think, I bet I could learn how to draw. I bet, I bet like I could teach myself just like I can teach myself how to do things that I did in school. So right. that's what I did. I kind of tr- treated it academically. Um, and I was an office temp and couldn't get a teaching job. And so in my boredom, like, my brain was constantly active on how to improve at drawing. Right. I'm gonna yeah. What did you draw as a kid? I mean... Yeah, well, but, but only, like... From realism, I was really good at copying photos, so it looked real and stuff, but coming out of my own head, it was always, I was not so happy with it. I mean, I guess as a little kid, yeah, Well, that's, that's a fact, I had no idea that was your origin story, because, I mean, looking at the beautiful work that you do now, I mean, no one would have any idea that it wasn't your first calling. Yeah, I, 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 to me, it bothers me that I might have gone my whole life without even knowing, you know, that I had it in me. Um, so I'm glad that I stumbled upon it, and uh, and I think the fact that I learned late, though, kind of makes me not take anything for granted. I don't sit so much on my strengths without learning my weaknesses, you know what I mean? Because, um, like, a lot of people who draw, since they're young ages, they 
get into bad habits. What, what are you doing? So right. I guess in a way that kind of gave me a bit of an advantage. Right. Because I'm con- it's like per- I'm perpetually learning because I learned late in life. Right. So you're yeah. coming to it with an analytical bent right from the get go, as opposed to like yeah. this, this this driving need that so many artists have. Yeah. 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 Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. Now, Amy, the collection of Rocket Girl came out recently. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And now is this continuing? Is Rocket Girl going on? Yeah. Or? Yeah. So we're working on um, the second arc right now, and um, should be out in a few months, very soon. Um, and yeah, I hope people keep reading because actually the second arc is kind of like a real big, um, like temporary ending. It's ongoing, but um, it was the way that we wanted to end the first arc, but then we decided it really needed space to become something. It's really beautiful how it works, so hopefully people keep right. reading. Now, is it going to continue after the second arc, do you think? Um, we, that's what we're still kind of figuring out. So that'll depend a lot on how well it does. Um, that's just kind of how things work. But um, it'll have a really strong ending at, at the end of the second arc if we need to do it that way. And if, if people still want more, then we'll do, you know, let it keep going as long as it can go. Cool. Anything else uh, we should look for? I know that you and your, your uh, writing partner, Brandon, mm-hmm. like, I know you have a website. Don't you do reviews on your website? I was checking. We have a podcast. And oh, yeah, that's we, it. You're, you do yeah. your own podcast. And so we do, like, some of these book club things every once in a while. Um, or we just comment on things in general. It's sort of like a creator's perspective on the industry. Right, right. That's what we're doing. And, um, and, um, and besides that, well, I don't know. I've got a lot planned for New York Comic Con. Like, I designed their Brooklyn Defender this year. Oh, that's right. The yeah. beer. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of fun. There's some uh, events going on with that. And uh, so... I don't know. But besides that, I really just, I focus yeah. on one thing at a time. You know, yeah. that's kind of the way I work. Yeah. So well, that's that's good. I mean, yeah. I think we can become very unfocused. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, there's plenty of people trying to get you to, it, you know, all for good reasons, but yeah. we want you to do different things. And you really just kind of have to say no so that you can create your best work. Right. What's yeah. the URL for your podcast or the name? Um, Podcornpodcast.com. Podcornpodcast.com. Yeah. All right. So podcast fans. <laughs> Check out the podcast with uh, Brandon Montclair and Amy Reader. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Heidi. Hi, uh, Heidi McDonald, once again with James Tinian here at uh, Baltimore Comic Con. Now, James, we're asking people, uh, what was the first comic you read that really blew your mind? <laughs> that is a really hard question. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, uh, the... The book that really sort of captured my imagination a lot uh, when I was a kid uh, was... It was the Age of Apocalypse storyline uh, from Marvel. And that that really... It, it, I always, I've always been gravitated towards the, the stories that are alternate histories and alternate worlds because it, in a weird way, there are actually great entry points for the universe because everything's twisted, but they're still introducing all of the elements in a kind of primal form. So it's, but then there's the, all of the twists. So you actually, you know, you might fall in love with, uh, you know, the that version of Magneto right. before you even have read many stories with actu- the actual right, right, Magneto. Right, right, right. And it's like you can you dig in that digging in that way. And I I just got so lost in that world, and I was just it. Those are the stories that always have reached out to me, or the world building kinds of stories. And like later on, it would be Sandman is like the big thing that ultimately would. 
Like it's, but it's weird, but it is on the same path for me. It's like it was the fact that it built built a comprehensive world that I was interested in each individual element of it, and each individual element made me think and like okay, and extrapolate that world to be everything. And that that kind, you know, world building is one of the things that I'm most attracted to in stories. So uh, yeah, that 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 would. No, were you an X Men fan before that, or was Uh, I was a fan of the animated series, uh, and I definitely had some. uh, X-Books here and there, but it, 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 not so much that I can remember individual storylines. It was much more like disparate single issues uh, here and there that I'd pick up when my dad took me to the comic shop, like not really understanding how any of them uh, fit together. And afterwards, did you read the X-Men religiously? Well, I'd, I would try to pick up uh, big like collections, or not not the collected editions, because uh, back then there really wasn't a right. lot of trades. It was more like when you go into the comic shop and they'd have bundles of, uh, of things. And, uh, you know, I, I would always try to hunt them down and all of that. It, it was actually the, the book that I would read over and over was The Essential Guide to the X-Men. It's like, and that's how I knew about all the storylines. Like, you know, it was the... The, the future Wikipedia browser in me, just wanting to know every little past storyline uh, of the X-Men because I couldn't, I, you know, I didn't have access to a comic shop for a lot a lot of my childhood. So uh, it was very much, uh, like, I actually had these guides the, the uh, that just listed, like, brief plot summaries. They had the covers of each X-Men issue and then a little summary. They were just in de- it was like the official Marvel index of the X-Men. Oh, and yeah. there was like that there was were six awesome. of them and I uh yeah, it was uh, it was perfect. You know what though that's very true because I think for a lot of books, you know, myself it's like um the Lord of the Rings, for instance, but then yeah. the that I read, but then there was like the guide for Lord of the Rings yeah. that had the list of all the names yeah. and everything. So, like, when you have that kind of guide, you definitely get sucked in a lot more, yeah. I think. Um, so, so that's cool. Now, did you know then that you wanted to write comics? Uh, it, that's when I started like drawing my own little like X characters and stuff like that, and that's uh, it was more uh, once I was in high school and started reading Vertigo work that I really dug in. Uh, and that's when I really it was like, oh, this is like a, a comic writer is a person that I know exists. Like, because back in, when I was a kid, I didn't really wasn't really paying attention to the names on the comics. I was right. much more paying attention to you know how the cool superheroes punching each other. Right. But yeah. Right. So, so uh, now, James, you have of course a bunch of uh, work out at uh, DC. You're doing Batman Eternal, but uh, you launched The Woods, which is your your own book from. Boom Studios uh, with the artist Michael Dialinus, who we all love. Yeah. Uh, you had the first collection out here, and I hear it sold out. Yeah, it sold out. The response has been absolutely incredible. I'm so, so happy. Uh, yeah, we have five issues out now, and, you know, this is just a weird little story about a high school transported to another uh, planet, and, you know, people seem to be, like, it's it's so personal to me. It's strange that it seems to be reaching out, and other people, are it resonates with them as well as it does me. Right. So uh, it's a now, great feeling. Now, how long do you see the story of the woods lasting? I, well, I mean, I, I have it plotted out as 36 issues. So, yeah, that I, as long as readers are willing to stick around for that, I that's that's what I want to do. Now, if there was a, hypothetically speaking, because the woods is a very intriguing premise. Yeah. And, but, I mean, it kind of also fits into this, you know, like youngsters learning in this new world kind of. There's yeah. a genre a little bit, I guess. Yeah. Um, 
So if there was, I mean, you know, could you see, like, maybe things happening that wanted you to continue it? Or is it some, I mean, could there be expansions I, of it if it really caught on? I could see, see other, others, oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. I could see uh, other stories taking place in the same world. Uh, the story I'm telling has a beginning, middle, and end. Right, uh, right. Well, that's yeah. that's how I like it. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's good. Um Hi, Heidi McDonald at live at Baltimore Comic Con once again. And now I am here with Marguerite Bennett, a writer of many fine comic books uh, and many more coming up, as she will tell us. But, you know, Marguerite, we're asking people about the first comic book they read that really blew your mind. And what was yours? Oh, goodness. Um, I hope I get, I'm getting the number right. I think it was Uncanny X-Men 161. It was part of the Chris Claremont run. And it dealt with um, Magneto and Professor X um, back when they were friends, honestly. And I want to say that they were in Israel and treating um, a survivor of the Holocaust. And you could see, you know, even in the beginning, even in the midst of their friendship, um, the driving tension that was essentially going to separate them into these, you know, two ideas of victims who have survived trauma. Um, one who, you know, seeks to rise above their enemy and become compassionate, become forgiving, become a force of good to counter the evil in the world, and the other who turns, um, you know, within themselves and becomes dead set to never be victimized again. And so, you know, to see, like, these enormous ideas um, embodied in these two men who were still friends and still trying to work in harmony um, to, to rehabilitate this woman um, just really struck me and stuck with me for years and years. Really? Wow. That's, that's crazy. That's interesting. Well, I, I, what's amazing me is that people, they don't hesitate. They mm-hmm. always know exactly what comic yeah. book it is. It is. Now, did that inspire you to write comics or to read um, more comics? It did. And it, well, it was a moment of, you know, that it wasn't just about, you know, the action sequence. It wasn't about the spectacle. Um, you could really see, you know, a bigger, darker story going on, um, you know, within this brightly colored book. Mm-hmm. Um, so it really sort of opened my mind up to the potential of what these stories could do. Now, were you an X-Men fan before this? Um, I think that was, like, the thing that honestly, like, was the, <laughs> the nail in the coffin. <laughs> this is my fate, was to love this forever. Right, right, right. Now, what are you? Uh, what are you working on now? You have a whole bunch of projects coming up. So, give yes, and let's give. Let's hear <laughs> okay. the long list. Yeah. I'm going to be on the Earth Two Monthly, on the Earth Two Weekly. I'm doing the Injustice Annual. I've got a story in the CMYK Yellow Anthology for Vertigo that's being drawn by the legendary Bill Sienkiewicz. Oh. Um, at Marvel, I am co-writing Angela Asgard's Assassin with Kieran Gillen. I've got a Lady Deathstrike one-shot as part of the Death of Wolverine. And then at Boom, I've got uh, the Sleepy Hollow miniseries that's a tie-in to the Sleepy Hollow TV show. And at Arkea, a four-issue miniseries called Butterfly, which is a spy comic with screenwriter Arashima. Now. <laughs> I'll sleep when I'm dead. Okay. Now, how on earth? I am assuming you did not write all these at the same time. Um, well, I've had nothing published from the past six months thereabouts. And so I got nothing published, but I got everything under the moon written. <laughs> Right. So are, are these, uh, we have ongoing books as well. Now, you haven't quite reached Charles Soule level yet, Oh, no, 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 no. I think he has something like 12 books coming out this month. Yeah. Just this month alone. Yeah, so, yeah. no. <laughs> He's right. the king. Well, how did you get to be so busy, though? Good grief. Um, if anyone's a Harry Potter fan, I'm a dirty Hufflepuff. <laughs> so we're, I've never been afraid of hard work. 
Um, and I love my job. And so, you know, it's, it's not a hardship to do it. With Sleepy Hollow, I had um, issue number three due, but I got so excited I just went ahead and wrote issue four. Okay, well, so. uh, don't do that, all right? Just more warning you. Don't get don't, don't let them get used to that there, Marguerite. That is, um, you know, that would be your territory. Under, it is, but, you know, I, I'm sure people mm-hmm. appreciate having enthusiasm. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting, though, that, you know, in talking about what book you read, like, uh, you know, artists generally would be like, uh, oh, there was this art in this book that, mm-hmm. and I remember this one panel, and, mm-hmm. and you know, uh, but like writers uh, like mm-hmm. yourself do tend to have like this this story mm-hmm. moment or you know, some kind of con- like conflict, uh, mm-hmm. like you were talking about. Um, you know, what's the story that you've written though that you're? Uh, you know, what's one that you really like? You know, if people want to say, you know, what 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 should we read by you that's out now? Mm-hmm. What what do you? What should we check out? Um, oh, goodness. Of the published work, um, I'd say I'm probably proudest of Lois Lane, but I had the most fun, honestly, on Joker's Daughter. Um, I was given a lot of freedom with Joker's Daughter, and it was a character that hadn't necessarily resonated with me before. Um, and Megan Hutchick was my artist on that book, and Katie Kiebert was my editor, and we just got to go to such an insane place and have so much fun. Um, but it got, you know... I was allowed to bring in, you know, theology and, and worship and, you know, this, this level of self-hatred that loses its identity into a divine figure. Um, and so it was just really fun to explore these enormous themes along with Megan's fantastically disturbing artwork. Yeah, no, that, <laughs> so that, was, one, yeah. that was great. Now, uh, one of the books you're working on is Angela, mm-hmm. which is, of course, a character with a checkered, mm-hmm. rich history, mm-hmm. just in its publishing mm-hmm. history. Uh, but actually, maybe, I mean, just the behind the scenes, that actual publishing history is a little bit, uh, well, not as much. I mean, so this is kind of like a new phase for the character being Absolutely. integrated into Marvel. Mm-hmm. Like, what's, uh, I mean, what was it like sitting down and thinking about Angela? Um, it was actually a lot of fun. Um, before this, the character's always been so self-contained and so self-defined, but now we have a chance to explore her through her relationships with others, you know, as she's brought into this rich, you know, Marvel universe. Um, I got to actually come into the Marvel retreat on one of the last days, and it was me, Kieran, Will Moss, and Phil Jimenez all sitting around a table, you know, just like bouncing ideas off of each other, and Phil was sketching, you know, the whole time that we were talking, it cover concepts and uh, like you know redesigns for armor and villains and I don't think his pen was still like the entire time that we were talking um, and so it was just so exciting and so in the same way that we hope to define Angela through her relationships with others we were already starting out with this community you know to sort of bring her to greater life Right, right. Well, uh, definitely think of a lot of people be curious when this comic comes out. I, I think it'll get a lot of attention. Um, well, cool. Well, Marguerite, just catching up with you quickly, I'm sure we'll be doing a longer, in-depth interview with you for our podcast. Uh, as always, there's more to come, but thank you so much. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Heidi McDonald at Baltimore Comic-Con with Chris Starros, uh, publisher of Top Shelf. Uh, and, you know, from the Starro support, as we know him, <laughs> he's going to laugh at me for that. So, Chris, so we're asking people today, what was the first comic you read that blew your mind? Well, you know, oddly enough, I never read comics as a kid, so I didn't grow up with all the superhero stuff. So I kind of suffer from the same stereotypical thoughts that comics were sort of a kid's fair or just action and adventure stuff. So when I, somebody put a copy of Alan Moore's V for Vendetta in my hand. And I had that same epiphany I had when I heard my first Black Sabbath album when I was 13, which was, oh my God, wow. (laughs) I didn't know it could be like this. I didn't know it could be this good. I didn't know, like, words and art could 
put together in such a literary fashion and be so deep and, and that you could see how intricate the art was. So Viva Vendetta was the book that really got me inspired to take a stab at jumping into the industry. And that's where the Star Wars report started from and all that. And then one series of bad decisions after another, and I ended up a publisher. You know, yeah, so publishing got, Alan Moore. What are the odds there, you know? know. That, so, that was bizarre, exactly. Yeah, you know, for just a little, you know, little history here, the Star Wars Report was your first, it was a self-published, right? Yeah, a little zine. And, yeah. and it was a zine that was like reviews of gra- graphic novels or comics? Well, or? It, was, it was at a time, you know, pre-internet. It wasn't that long ago, right? Know, but it was pre-internet, right? pre-everything. And it was at a time where there were so many great things being published, like Love and Rockets, 8-Ball, all these other things, and lots of little things tinier than that, small press stuff. But it wasn't in stores. They weren't in stores, and it was very hard to figure out where to buy that stuff. So the zine was about what's the best stuff to read and, and how to buy it. And it was more like, here's the address you send the money right, to, here's right. how much you conclude right. for postage. It was, like, it was like a fact sheet five for comics, for yeah. those who get that reference. Yeah. yeah, and now it's been replaced by a, a million blogs, but at the time it did serve a little bit of a function for gathering that information putting it in one printed source right. for people to find out. And V for Vendetta was always in that top ten list you know, <laughs> as a legacy book yeah, of you should read. And of course it got you started on the road to being the wonderful publisher that you are with so many great comics. Uh, well, Chris, cool. Good good story. Uh, we'll see you uh, at the next show. Sounds good. Thanks, so. Hi, uh, it's Heidi McDonald <laughs> live at Baltimore Comic Con for PW Comics World. More to come. And today we're asking comics professionals about what comics they read that blew their mind. Like, what did you read when you were a child or older that suddenly made you realize, this is for me? So I'm here with Jim Dugan, cartoonist. So Jim, what was the first comic that blew your mind? The first one that I can remember blowing my mind, I was eight, and it was Daredevil 181, when Bullseye kills Elektra, spoiler alert. Um, And I had never read Daredevil before, but I remember being so shocked by the intensity of it and the shocking violence of it, but also about just the art in which it was put together. Even at eight years old, I could see the, the formal stuff that Miller was doing was really incredible and not like anything anyone else anyone else was doing that I could read at the time. Now, were you reading comics before this? Yes. Like Little Lulu? or No, I, I think I was reading Spider-Man and Batman and maybe like Justice League, Fantastic Four, stuff like that I remember reading. But some kid at school had Daredevil and he brought, and that was the first one. And I hadn't read any of the stuff leading up to it. I didn't know who Electra was. I didn't know who Bullseye. I didn't know anybody. But it was such an intense experience reading that comic. It just changed me forever, and I started reading Daredevil and went back and got the other issue. Wow. Yeah, I can see. And I reread it recently as part of the whole Miller run, maybe in in the last 10 years. And it's amazing how all of it really comes to the crescendo in that issue. So, so you just big. happened to walk in the last, you know, ten minutes of, you know, The Godfather or something. Pretty much. But it, but he made it make sense even to someone who hadn't read anything else. So uh, it's it's a pretty impressive piece of work. Wow. Did you go on to read uh, other superhero comics? Uh, did you continue reading them for a long time, or did you eventually drift away from superheroes? Yes. Uh, yes and yes. So um, I continued reading superhero comics for a long time, got way out of it during the 90s and mainstream comics in general. Um, But then, uh, ironically, um, it was in the early 2000s when I started looking to read comics again, and it was, of all people, a Frank Miller interview in the Comics Journal where he talked about all the indie comics that he liked 
Stan Klaus, Adrian Tomine, I forget who else he, he talked about in that issue. And those are the ones I went out and got. So. Wow. You never well, said Tomine. Yeah, he did. He never said Tomine. Yes, he did. Okay, he never said Tomine. There you go. Well, there you go. So in your case, it might be do as Frank Miller does. Um, uh, what, what are you working on now, the project that you're, you're working on? Um, well, I have a book that's in the works and has been in the works for a long time with Oni that hasn't been announced yet, so I can't talk about it. But uh, And then I continue to work on the webcomic at activatecomics.com called Sam and Lila with my brilliant collaborator, Hondo Park. Yes. All right. A wonderful comic. Please check it out at activate.com. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Heidi. Hi, Heidi McDonald here uh, with Kat Roberts. Uh, cartoonist, designer, all-around Renaissance woman. So, Kat, we're talking today about the comics we read that blew our minds. So, what's yours? Uh, Dark Knight Returns. Okay, uh, so Dark Knight Returns. Now, were you reading other superhero comics, or did it come out of the... I was reading comics at all. That whole world had passed me by. I picked up a Red Hot when I was a kid, and was like, oh, this is for me. Um... But I wasn't, I wasn't reading again until I was in college. That's when someone handed me that book, and it transformed what I wanted to do with myself. Wow. Okay. So you could be. So you were college age when you read it. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you graduate to then? What did you start reading then? Um, I lived in a rural area. There wasn't a comic shop. Uh, The closest one was like an hour away. So my friend and I would go, and it was just kind of like a grab bag. I would just pick up stuff, and it was mostly fails. So I went from thinking like, oh, I love comics is my thing, to like, oh, I just love that. (laughs) The next thing I got was Sin City, and I really liked that too. And then it was like, okay, so I think I don't like comics. I just like this guy. But when I moved to a place that had more comic shops, and I started discovering, uh, like, Cloak and Dagger. <laughs> like who? I'm sorry? Cloak and Dagger. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then Bill Sienkiewicz. It was sort of like a journey through artists at first. And then when I discovered indie comics, that's when I really felt comfortable just absorbing everything I could. Well, that's great. That's a, that's another one. That's one we've heard a lot in our survey. All right, cool. Kat, what are you working on now that you want to plug? Um... I took a year off of making comics to do craft books, but I have seven minis coming out in November. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll be looking for them. Thanks, Kat. Thank you, Heidi. I'm here, uh, Heidi McDonald, live at Baltimore Comic-Con, this time with uh, Mike Fife, the creator of Copra, which is uh, getting quite a bit of buzz now, and also Ultimate... The Ultimates. The, the Ultimates. All ultimates. The all-new Ultimates. Excuse me. That? I know. That's crazy. So, Mike, we're asking creators today about the first comic they remember reading that blew their mind, and what was yours? It would be Love and Rockets number 11. 11. It blew my mind. Yeah, I yeah. saw it at a friend's on a friend's floor. I was sleeping over, and he just happened to have this random issue, and uh, it was amazing. I mean... I remember the story was in the middle of a big saga. You know how Blood and Rockets is, and I just didn't care. I I knew I knew all about it. Like I picked up on it. It was perfect, and it had nudity, and that was great. So (laughs) how how old were you? I was about 13, uh, 13. That is a very common age for this experience to happen. Yeah, I was coming back into comics, you know. Right. I uh, you know, I went through the, the the image boom, the glut, the purge. I got rid of all my comics, and then when I went back in, it was through Love and Rockets, essentially. Did, so. Did, so you got back in, did you... Did, uh, no, don't they know who they're interviewing? 
So did you just seek out all the Love and Rockets issues then, like, you know, crazy and, like, read Yeah, them all? but it took me years. I mean, this was in Miami, so there's, like, one comic book store, maybe it had Love and Rockets, and nothing else. So it took me almost a decade to get all of them. Uh, you know? I mean, now you could just go to any store and buy the entire collection. Yeah, in various formats. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But back then, you it was kids have it so easy. So easy. But it was an adventure, and it was worth it. It was so good. Yeah. And I was never lost. I don't know what all that crap is about. Like, you got to start from the beginning. You can jump in, and those are perfect comic books, man. Yeah. I mean, you know. I do, I do. Okay. That was probably one of my mind bogglers as well. Yeah. So, uh, so what are you working on now that you want to tell us about? Copra, Copra, Copra. Yeah. That's all I do. Is that yeah. a monthly comic? I try out? to make it monthly. I try to just, you know, crank it out as soon as possible. Every, every issue is pretty much a race to the finish. So, for those who don't know what it's about... Tell us, what is it's Cobra? Like my, um, it's like my Suicide Squad analog sort of renegade misfit weirdo comics superhero thing. You know, it's a monthly, it's a 24-page full-color comic that I do everything. I write, color, draw, I'm obsessive, I'm a control freak, you know. Yeah. Well, it's very accessible. For those of you who think that indie comics aren't for everyone, uh, definitely Copra is worth checking out. And as I said, brand new, beautiful collection just out, available at Bergen Street Comics and uh, on fine retailers near you. So, uh, well, well, thank you very much, Mike. Thanks for your story. You're the mind best boggling. All right. Talk to you later. Uh, it's Heidi McDonald live at Baltimore Comic Con for PW Comics World. More to come. And today we're asking comics professionals about what comics they read that blew their mind. Like, what did you read when you were a child or older that suddenly made you realize this is for me? So I'm here with Jim Dugan, cartoonist. So, Jim, what was the first comic that blew your mind? The first one that I can remember blowing my mind, I was eight, and it was Daredevil 181, when Bullseye kills Elektra, spoiler alert. Um, and I had never read Daredevil before, but I remember being so shocked by the intensity of it and the shocking violence of it, but also about just the art in which it was put together. Even at eight years old, I could see the, you know, the formal stuff that Miller was doing was really incredible and not like anything anyone else anyone else was doing that I could read at the time. Now, were you reading comics before this? Yes. Like Little Lulu? Or... No, I, I think I was reading Spider-Man and Batman and maybe like Justice League, Fantastic Four, stuff like that I remember reading. But some kid at school had Daredevil and he brought, and that was the first one. And I hadn't read any of the stuff leading up to it. I didn't know who Electra was. I didn't know who Bullseye I didn't know anybody. But it was such an intense experience reading that comic. It just changed me forever, and I started reading Daredevil and went back and got the other issues. Wow. Yeah, I can see. And I reread it recently as part of the whole Miller run, maybe in like the last 10 years. And it's amazing how all of it really comes to the crescendo in that issue. So, so you just big. happened to walk in the last, you know, 10 minutes of, you know, The Godfather or something. Pretty much. But, it, but he made it make sense even to someone who hadn't read anything else. So uh, it's, it's a pretty impressive piece of work. Wow. Did you go on to read uh, other superhero comics? Uh, did you continue reading them for a long time, or did you eventually drift away from superheroes? Yes. Uh, yes and yes. So um, I continued reading superhero comics for a long time, got way out of it during the 90s and mainstream comics in general. Um, but then, uh, ironically... Um, it was in the early 2000s when I started looking to read comics again, and it was, of all people, a Frank Miller interview in the Comics Journal where he talked about all the indie comics that he liked, 
Dan Klaus, Adrian Tomine, I forget who else he, he talked about in that issue. And those are the ones I went out and got. So. Wow, you never well, said Tomine. Yeah, you did. You never said Tomine. Yes, you did. You never said Tomine. There you go. Well, there you go. So in your case, it might be do as Frank Miller does. Um, uh, what, what are you working on now, the project that you're, you're working on? Um, well, I have a book that's in the works and has been in the works for a long time with Oni that hasn't been announced yet, so I can't talk about it. But uh, And then I continue to work on the webcomic at activatecomics.com called Sam and Lila with my brilliant collaborator, Yondo Park. Yes, all right, a wonderful comic. Please check it out at activate.com. Thanks, Jim. Uh, Heidi McDonald here at SPX 2014 with James Sturm, the director of the Center for Cartoon Studies, uh, the author of Market Day, and the co-author today of The World is Made of Cheese, the Applied Cartooning Manifesto. Uh, we'll get back to that in a minute, but James, what was the first comic that blew your mind? The first comic that blew my mind. Now, you know, I grew up reading Peanuts in the newspaper, and that was always there, and I adored it and loved it. But I think the thing that, like, blew my mind, and I first remember reading it, there used to be a magazine called Dynamite, and they distributed it in public schools. It's like something they sell through schools, and there'd be a little excerpt of Marvel Comics in it. And in this issue, they had, like, the first eight pages of Fantastic Four number one. And this must have been in the early 70s. And I read that, and that blew my mind. Yeah. And yeah. not too long after, I was in the Paramus Park Mall in New Jersey. And it was a bookstore, and there was this basket of old comics. There was an old Fantastic Four comic. And I was like, well, 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 what is this? <laughs> I know this. And then I fell into this rabbit hole that lasted pretty much through high school of Marvel Comics. Wow, that's right. And of course, later on, you did it in, Into the Storm, the... Uh... I did Unstable Molecules. Yes, Unstable I, uh, Molecules. A four-issue yeah. miniseries for Marvel. That won the Eisner Award. It did. It was so much fun to... Yeah. Like, that was my first career ambition, right? Or my wow. second. I wanted to be a paleontologist first. But after that, I wanted to be draw and write comics for Marvel. And, um, you know, that changed when I discovered uh, more, uh, underground comics and alternative mm-hmm. comics. But there was a little window where I was able to do a four-issue miniseries for Marvel. Now, which, which were, again, and it won the Eisner Award. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, icing on the cake. Yeah, it was icing on the cake. Now, you know, when I ask people this question, a lot of, I, like, I don't prompt for what it is, but most people will name either a comic that is they read as a child, as you did, uh, but a lot of times people will mention a comic they read as an adolescent. Yeah. You know? So you said that you also discovered underground alternative comics. What was the comic that kind of turned you from the path of the mainstream? Well, there was a lot of them. There was a box of underground comics that this postdoc at University of Wisconsin, uh, his name was Victor Rayboy, and yes, he was related to Mac <laughs> Rayboy, who uh, did uh, Captain Marvel Jr. at all. And uh, he introduced me to underground comics, and that kind of blew my mind. Discovering all them, like when I was about a sophomore in, in, at University of Wisconsin. But during that same time period, the comic that really blew my mind was a collection of Village Voice comics from the late 70s by Mark Allen Samity. Uh, and it was a yes, remaindered book yes, that I bought yes. at the university bookstore called McDoodle Street. And it was a surrealistic graphic novel in strip form. And it was like, bam, like comics can look like this. And there was so much energy and weirdness and strangeness, and yet it was like this completely conceived story that had all these weird aggressions. And uh, that just like, yeah, I felt liberated, right. and I just wanted to right. keep drawing. 
Right. Well, that's great. And you mentioned that earlier. You moderated a pretty amazing panel that was with Charles Burns, Jules Pfeiffer, Linda Barry, Tom DeMauro, Dan Perkins, and... Um, ben Catcher? And Ben Catcher, yeah. Which was like, that panel should have been like an hour and a half, man. Oh, my God. Was like that was just, my dream panel. I know. And, it was uh, like you were just getting going. Oh, my God. And I, I just was so influenced by alternative cartoonists, and I... Uh, you know, helped start the Stranger and Alternative uh, yeah. Weekly in Seattle. So I owe a lot to the uh, Alternative right. Press. Right, and I think you even said that you thought the panel was just really scratched the surface. Uh, yeah. Because, I, and I agree with you, I think, like, the story of the undergrounds has, you know, been, you know, not completely covered, but there are quite a few very good books about the underground yeah. period. And I think that the alt-comics that came out of that, like the alt-weeklies, I don't think that period is even, no one's even begun to, because right. they're all still with us, they're all still doing things. Well, what was great about preparing for this panel and putting together a slideshow, I teach at the Center for Cartoon Studies, so I, I have a couple students I'm working with, and we're actually starting to interview people and get an oral history ah. together, and this is now going to become a, you know, a good lesson or, or, or a, you know, a, a great lecture, and, you know, and maybe even someday a book. Yeah. So we'll just, you know, slowly but surely start connecting with all these great alternative uh, cartoonists. Now, James, you do so many great things. I mean, you know, the Center for Cartoon Studies. Oh, Heidi, you so, flatter me. Well, but I mean, you do. You really, you know, the Center for Cartoon Studies, uh, you know, we all laughed when you started it. And now it's an institution. So, you know, it's lasted this long. But you've come here with a little manifesto, a little cartoon manifesto called The World is Made of Cheese, the Applied Cartooning Manifesto that you drew with Merrick Bennett, right? Yes. Now, tell me what this is. Well, you know, there's a conversation out there about, like, how do we make a living as an artist? How do we make ends meet? And, uh, you know, as we know, it's a real struggle in publishing to do so. And as somebody who runs a cartooning school, I feel a real obligation to address that, you know? On one hand, I believe we should just be able to make comics for comics' sake. Like, we shouldn't have to worry about that. We don't ask every MFA poetry program, is how your poet going to make money? Right. And that's super... I think it's, uh, you know, that that's a very valid thing. Like, I, I make comics because if I didn't, I'd be really depressed and miserable. Uh, this is how I, I figure out the world. But what I found, too, is that the language of comics is really now the language for communication in the digital age. Like, this language that we speak as cartoonists um, is really needed out in the world to help explain things, clarify things, discover things. And, like, a cartoonist, if you're even a... a a, 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 a good, a solid cartoonist. You know, you're like a wizard in the muggle world. Right. And you can do so <laughs> much in terms of educating people, in terms of um, in terms of using that skill set uh, for, yeah, for, for, for education, for, med you know, like a graphic medicine, graphic facilitation, and comics journalism. So it's pretty, um, it's pretty excited. And I think, you know, Will Eisner, you know, he came up with the term graphic novel. Of course there were graphic novels for a long time before right. Will came up with the idea. But somehow coming up with that name gave it some gravity and momentum. And I feel like with the applied cartooning, uh, if this is a way that people can kind of understand how essential... Uh, this thing that we cartoonists do and pay us accordingly for it. Uh, me and Rick Veach this summer, we did something for the big uh, hospital system in Vermont, New Hampshire. And uh, it was a five-week gig. And, you know, it, it, that allowed me to, to cartoon and, you know, for the next five months, right? Right, um, right. And this is what, you know, cartoonists have to take stock of their skill set and say, hey, you know, we can go out in that world and kind of 
start to understand how essential right. uh, what they do is. Well, now, uh, I know I've talked to Gene Luen Yang, and he's also talked about applied cartooning. Yeah. He is another big proponent of it, Scott McLeod. I yeah. know you have two heavy hitters there using yeah. your term. Well, those two guys you mentioned, you know, are two of my heroes, first of all. And, you know, the Applied Cartooning Manifesto was very much inspired by Scott McLeod's understanding comics. Right. There's a definite shout-out in the manifesto to him as well. And, um, you know, those guys are educators. I, I, yesterday I locked in with Linda Barry for a long time about teaching and education and, and cartooning and, you know, outside <laughs> of, you know, the, I love SPX. I get so freaking inspired here. I can't wait oh, to go I back know, and make right? comics. Uh, but it's also taking this energy and bringing it out into the world. Yeah, absolutely. For fun, for profit. Right. So this is your little kind of propaganda manifesto, in other words. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's available here at the show in printed format, but after the show it'll be online and it's... Even... I think it'll be online by tonight okay. at the CCS website, if not definitely okay. tomorrow. Well, we'll make sure we tweet it or we, uh, you know, by the time this comes out, it'll definitely be online. But we'll make sure that we, we talk about where you can find it. Uh, well, James, enjoy the rest of your SPX. Thank you so much. Thank for you. And so, thank you for being part of this conversation. Well, I... I I'm, you know, at PW, we've written about this a little bit also, and, you know, it's obviously, I think you're on to something. <laughs> I would say I, I think that's my gut level. So, right. Thank so, you, Heidi. Thank you, James. All right. Hi, this is Heidi McDonald for PW Comics World's More to Come podcast, and now I am at Bethesda for the Small Press Expo 2014, and I'm here with Ellen Lindner, the creator of the Black Feather Falls many other comics. So, Ellen, we're talking to people today and asking them, what was the first comic you read that blew your mind? Oh, man. Um, that's a really difficult question. Comics have been blowing my mind forever. However, I think the thing, first that really blew my mind from start to finish was um, Wolverine, issue 57, cover, interior art, pretty much everything by Mark Silvestri. OMG. OMG. <laughs> He's just... A legend for a very good reason. I, I wish he worked more <laughs> all the time, but there was something about that. I mean, I think there was something that appealed to me specifically because the cover is very much like a romance comic cover. It's Wolverine with his dead lover, and he's looking really angsty. Mysteriously, the cover is in rainbow, <laughs> rainbow color, and it's just so... I just love his craft. I love Wolverine. And I think those two together blew my mind. Wow. There's so much that, uh, when I ask this question, I'm always surprised by the results. I did not expect that, Ellen. That is not what I was expecting at all. Uh, how old were you when you read this? I want to say I was maybe 10 or 11. Okay. So you're at that, that age. Now, did you go on to read a lot of Marvel comics? or did they... I did. There was a point where I got, I mean, basically, X-Men... I started out really reading newspaper comics as a kid, but then kind of X-Men, Wolverine, all that got me super excited about comics as a sort of preteen. And um, I did stop reading them maybe around like 12 or 13 because I got really frustrated with the number of crossovers. <laughs> and then I got into Chester Brown. The rest is history. Right, right, right. What was the... So was, it, was there a Chester Brown comic that when you read just really made you go like, uh, holy crap, <laughs> this is what I really want to do? I think it's called I Never Liked You, and when I read that, it just, it blew my mind again. It blew my mind a second time, because basically, 
I was used to these really tight narratives with really pre preconceived and very tightly defined characters, and I never liked you if that is indeed the, the title. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, which is really fluid and really free form, and the narrative was relatively. Um, it was kind of a quiet. Uh, sort of introspective narrative of a kind that I really hadn't experienced in comics. Um, so, yeah, I think that was kind of my transition. I started reading Sandman and, you know, um, I've started to get more into uh, superhero comics lately because I share a studio with um, Kari Randolph, who does a lot for Image. She's currently working on Tech Jacket. And Riley Brown, who um, has done a lot of Deadpool right. and is now working for DC on Lobo. Right. So, you know, those guys are... Sick. They're so talented, and so being around them, it's definitely gotten me much more into superhero comics than I have been in such a long time. And Riley, in particular, is hilarious. I uh, actually asked Riley this question at Baltimore, <laughs> so he's also on this podcast. Oh, so, so tell me about your book, uh, The Black Feather Falls. Uh, so. Well, Black Feather Falls is a kind of very. Um, I love mysteries, and um, it's my attempt to sort of uh, Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers type self-contained mystery where you meet this character and um, it's basically full of flappers. It's full of flappers. It's set in London in the 1920s and it's, I hope, sort of lighthearted, but it is around, um, the core of it is this kind of anxiety about, at that time in London, about the aftermath of World War One and all the suffering that people have been through and the murder that's the center of it has to do with that. So I hope it's a good balance of kind of angstiness and a little bit of lightheartedness, but it's been so much fun to write, and it's up for an Ignatz Award, so, you know, I'm also doing a lot of hardcore self-promotion this weekend. It's not becoming, but you gotta do it. Well, by the time people hear this podcast, you will either be a winner or a loser, so... Let's call it a winner or an also-ran. A winner or a fellow nominee. There we go. A winner or a nominee for life. Yeah, well, I've heard a lot of good things about the book, and, you know, it's a great concept. Uh, no, you're, you have two volumes out now, right? It's two volumes. Eventually there will be uh, four, and then it will be collected. It's published um, by a UK publisher called Soaring Penguin, and so oh, I'll right. be doing the collection with them. And I'm really excited. Uh, John Anderson, who runs Soaring Penguin, has been really supportive, really cool about everything. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, and I'm really... Actually, part three is currently up on Activate. You can read books one, two, and three on activatecomics.com. And book four, I hope, will be done in the spring. I'm really excited about it. Uh, do you find that being online, like putting it up online, serializing it, is a good way to build an audience? Or um, it's, It is excellent in that regard. But for me, a lot of it is just about doing um, having a weekly deadline. When you're doing a uh, full-color comic, on, mostly on your own, I do get some assistance from our studio interns, but mostly on your own, with a small publisher, you don't have those kind of incremental deadlines. And that's been awesome. Yeah. Plus, so, Simon, who runs Activate, is fantastic. Right, right. We well, Activate has really been the uh, the you know cauldron, incubator for so many great comics. Actually, there's so many cool people uh, you know on that site. I would recommend checking it out. Activate.com, um, and also check out the Black Feather Falls. Uh, available from Ellen Lindner and Soaring Penguin. You know, at PW, we just did a big story about all the books that they're doing and definitely somebody to watch. So, uh, good things all around. Ellen, thank you so much. Uh, my pleasure, Heidi. Thank you. Hi, Heidi McDonald uh, here, still at SPX. Uh, right now, I'm with Jude Killery, who is a cartoonist. He is tabling here with his book, Ninth Art Inc. Uh, and so, Jude, uh, we're talking about the first comic that blew your mind. Do you have an idea of what that might be? 
Yes, it would be Dan Clow's 8-Ball. And I know that it's, it's a little boring, but specifically because I was in the fine art world, and what blew my mind was that Dan Clow's made me start thinking about drawing, and drawing as an art form. And ever since that, I, I've just been dedicated, and being allowing myself to just draw. Right, right, And right. that was what was powerful about the art. So that's what blew my mind. Did you read, like, mainstream comics before that? Or? Yeah, and I'm not an image guy. Like, I was, I loved comics and and then I hated it because it felt and then I got into like Egon Sheila and De Kooning and then I got a, went to an art school where they tried to make me do concept art and <laughs> I hated it and then I found Art School Confidential and it's like you can make concepts ideas and draw right right so well, Dan Files is a really great one you know what I'm going to ask your table mate the same question now like, who I've just met, his name is Sabin Cauldron? Sabin. Sabin. All right, so Sabin, uh, your book is called Maleficium. Uh, what is the first comic book you read that blew your mind? Um, that would be The Assassin and the Winer by Carrie McNitch. Wow. I, I used to do zines, and somebody sent me a bunch of zines in the mail, and one of them was that comic, and I'd never seen anyone, like, photocopy and print their own comic before and it just opened me up into the world of mini comics and self-publishing and yeah wow alright what was the name of that again? The Assassin in the Winer by Carrie McNish alright well that's one to look for I haven't heard that one before so. but that's why I love asking this question because you never know what you're going to get so well Jude Sabin thank you very much for your answer thank you Hi, Heidi McDonald here at SPX 2014, and right now I'm with Noah Van Skyver, the Ignatz-nominated creator of uh, Blamo and his new book, Youth is Wasted. So, Noah, the question is, what is the first comic that blew your mind? It was actually that uh, the collection of American Splendor that came out after the movie came out. Because that was the comic, that collection, when I read that, I was uh, 18 years old, and that was when I started to realize you could do anything with comics. Right. Yeah. How old were you? You were 18? I was 18, yeah. Right. So what had you been reading before that? Uh, only, like, stuff that was around my house, you know? like Because uh, I grew up in a, a house where it was, like, basically all superhero comics. And so that's just what I thought comics were. Right, right, right. So, yeah, seeing that collection, that was like, it so, opened it up. So what did you, did you proceed to make your, start making your own comics yeah, at that point? Yeah, I did, yeah. But they were like really crude and I didn't show it to anybody for a long time. Uh-huh. But, yeah. Wow, well, there you go. From that, uh, you know, great things have come. Now, Now your, your new book out is Youth is Wasted and yeah. that is from... Ad House. Ad House, correct. Yeah, yeah what, is, what is in Youth is Wasted? Ad House, or uh, <laughs> Youth is Wasted is a, basically like a best, uh, best of collection from Blamo and from some mini comics that I put out over the years. It's only like my favorite stuff though. Uh-huh, right. Well, you're quite prolific actually, aren't you? Yeah. By indie cartoonist standards. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I like to draw and I like to write, so. Yeah, yeah. You know. What, uh, what, I mean, how many comics a month do you do? You say? How many pages do you do? Oh, a month? Yeah. It varies. Uh, I don't know, actually. It depends. But probably like 20 pages or something. Okay. Well, that's pretty significant. Yeah. Now, what do you find is best for your, um, I mean, reaching your audience, uh, my web comics, you do a lot of those, you also do print comics, I mean, which do you think, I mean, do you feel one is different, better, you know, they're... Well, uh, online comics are, like, more accessible, so anything I post on Tumblr 
I feel like it all comes back to the print version because, for example, I'm at SPX, so most people that have been coming up to my table and buying comics from me are people who discovered my work on Tumblr right. or Facebook or anywhere else on the internet. So, I mean, they work hand in hand for me. And, uh, I don't know. It's hard uh, to say what's more important. No, what, what's next for you? I have two books coming out from Fantagraphics next year. So I have a book called St. Cole coming out in uh, March. And in the summer, there's a book called Fonte Bukowski coming out. What's that about? It's uh, about a struggling writer who, <laughs> who changed his name to Fonte Bukowski because he loves Charles Bukowski and John Fonte. <laughs> So. All right, so this is uh, a fiction or yeah, thin, it's fiction, thinly yeah. veiled? Fiction? It's just making fun of struggling writers, basically. Right, yeah. right, right. Well, St. Cole is, ba- is your webcomic collection, yeah, correct? Yep. That you have on your site, the. With uh, Joseph Remnant, the yes. expositor. The expositor, right, yeah, right, yeah. right. Um, uh, now, you did a book that a lot of us liked at a PW. We gave it a very good review, was uh, oh, The Hypo, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, which was historical fiction, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, just, not even fiction, it's, yeah. all, it's not yeah. fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Do you think you're going to do something of that ilk in the future? Or? Uh, eventually, I'd like to. I always plan on doing like a Joseph Smith biography. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, it's just a matter of when. i got to find the time. Is it more time-consuming to be something that's fact-based like that? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. All this, because all the homework that goes into it, you know. Now, you have a comic that I don't hate your guts, yeah. uh, which is your diary comics, and you're one of many comic diarists. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, the question you're asked a million times, and I will ask it for the million and first time, do you ever worry about putting too much of yourself online? Yes, I do. <laughs> the short answer there, yeah, yes. I really do. Uh, are you pulling back from that? I am, actually, yeah. I mean, I just, I, it's only because time has like, gotten so weird yeah. in my life that like I just don't want to expose so much of that, just out of like, respect of the other people that are involved. So I have to pull back a little fair bit. Enough, fair enough, yeah. uh, fair enough. So, uh, yeah, then uh, along comes Fonte Bukowski. Yep. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. Anyway, well, Noah, listen, uh, we're big fans of your work. Uh, good luck at the Ignatzes tonight, and, um, you know, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you very much.